Wow, such creativity in this place. So awesome. Oh, it's exciting to gather around the presence of Jesus, isn't it? This is what we hunger for, is just to be in his presence and to let him speak to us, minister to us, and we pour out our hearts to him in worship. It's like an overflow experience. And, you know, I'm so excited about what God is doing, and I'm, I'm thankful to God for Randy Carter as our transitional youth pastor and for Luke Toner as our pastoral intern. This combination of these two is great for us, and we're excited about how God's going to work through them and through the volunteer youth leaders. So just stay tuned for more things that are going to happen. And I want to say a word to those of you who maybe know this, but there was 100 people who moved out of 11 to 9 o'clock. Did you know that? Can you imagine 100 more people in here? No. So uh, whoever they are, say thank you to them. Uh, we thanked them at the earlier service. And if another couple dozen of you want to migrate over, you're so welcome to do that. Go for it. And hey, we're moving towards that incredible time of the year known as Christmas Eve. This is for us the time of year that we reach out into our city. And uh, it is the highest attended service that we do in an entire year. Last year, we had over 1,200 people. And uh, this year, it's on a Saturday. So think of that. Okay, nobody's going to work. You know, they're going to be here. And uh, so we're doing four services, one, three, five, and seven. And we're asking you to help out with this because this is one of those major, major outreach moments uh, in our church life. And so pull out that insert, I think you got it in your bulletin there. It talks about serving on Christmas Eve, and it lists some opportunities there, you know, like parking lot, cafe, sanctuary hosts, and so on. I want to ask you as your lead pastor, would you, would you join the team? There's a team that's being formed for Christmas Eve, and some people can only do one service or two. We understand that, but we need like 75 of you, seriously, to pull this off. Uh, and here's what's going to happen. Dozens of people will receive Christ. That's worth it, right? Yeah. Dozens of people. It happens every year. They put up their hands. They pray the prayer. They receive Jesus. Some come to the front, get Bibles, uh, and we invite them into a discipleship process. So we're encouraging you with all of our hearts. Join us. Be on the ministry team that night um, and pray and invite people to Christmas Eve, and God will do a phenomenal thing. And once you fill this out, uh, at the end of our service, you can put it in the offering that we'll receive near the end, and then we'll contact you and involve you in team training and preparation. All right, thank you for that. Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 14 and Malachi chapter 3. And our hosts are bringing Bibles in case you would like to use one. If you don't have one, use one of these. Take it home if you don't own one, and it's our gift to you. And uh, there's going to be a lot of other verses that we're going to look at as well, but I just gave you the, the two main passages, and we'll get there eventually. <clears throat> I was just going to say this. I think last week's message was kind of different, kind of special. Uh, I ended up talking about some unique things like playing Hungry Hippo games and watching SpongeBob cartoons. What does that have to do with stewardship? Uh, well, you'll have to watch the video online or listen to it to catch up to the series. Uh, but we're having fun with this overflow uh, moment in our, in our church life. And I really believe it's like God wants to set us up for a blessing. God is kind of like arranging circumstances and moments to pour out his presence on us so that we as stewards of all that he gives us to take care of, we can overflow with his favor and abundance and we can bless other people too. So here's some verses we looked at uh, in the last couple of weeks. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. You guys believe that? It's true. It's in the Bible. <laughs> The blessing of the Lord brings wealth. 
without painful toil for it. In other words, you don't have to go crazy with work to get ahead. God will bless you and sustain you. There's a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. It says, it is the Lord your God who gives you the capacity to create wealth. That's a pretty phenomenal statement. That there's some kind of ability that we have as being made in his image that we have the capacity to produce things and let them turn into something good. Let's not squander that opportunity. And we can see when it happens in our life. We can celebrate achievements and even success. Here's another verse we looked at. 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And this prosperity is not just in the area of finances, but it's in the area of the soul, the inner life, and the area of your body, your health as well. And uh, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago uh, what biblical prosperity is all about. And the word to prosper means this, that whatever you put your hand to, it has become successful. That's biblical prosperity. And, you know, some people don't like the word in church, right? They say, let's not use the word prosperity anymore in the Christian church because there's so many bad examples out there. And we covered that in the last two messages. So if you're new in this series, pick up the first two messages. They're foundational for for our whole series here. But I want to recover the biblical meaning of prosperity. And that is that God wants to bless the work of our hands. He really does. He wants to favor us. He wants to give us capacity to increase even in wealth. Yes, even in wealth. And so I just want to encourage you to join me in looking at a true biblical definition of what it means to prosper as we go into this series. Last week we exposed mammon as well. Remember that? Mammon, a spirit in this world that corrupts people with greed and selfish living. And we know how important it is to not give in to mammon. And uh, we said that we are not going to serve that master. We're going to serve the master who is God and put all of our allegiance under him. So today, we're looking at first things first. And in this part of the series, this is what I would call the tangible message, the the more practical one uh, in which we can put things into action in our own lives. So here's a statement I want to encourage you to say with me. You'll see the words on the screen. I'm choosing to honor God first in my financial life. I'm going to make a choice about that, even today. And we see this all over the Bible, this whole idea of honoring God first in everything that we have, in our family life, in our marriage, in our relationships, in our work, and even in our financial realm also. We're supposed to have God first in all those things. Here's a verse I want us to look at, Leviticus chapter 27. I don't think I mentioned it earlier. Let me just read it for you. The words will be on the screen. Leviticus 27, verse 30. It says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now remember that phrase. Uh, It's holy to the Lord, because we're going to pick it up a little bit later in, in today's message. In the economy of the people of God in the Old Testament times, they had to bring their portions to the local storehouse, to the temple, the tabernacle, whatever it was, and they had to make sure that they were in alignment with God's commandments. And uh, the idea was that if you had grown a crop, if you had uh, developed a business, if you'd had some lambs or some goats, you brought a tenth of that to the Lord. It belonged to Him. So we're not living in Old Testament times. Aren't you glad for that? (laughs) Can you imagine bringing goats in here? 
you know, and grain and barley and sheaves and all that. This place would be like an agricultural zone. And we're not living in an agricultural society uh, that way anymore. We're living in a monetary society. So for us, the principle works this way. We bring God his portion from the money that we make out of the income that he's given to us. And when we do, then we can say we're choosing to honor God first in our financial lives. Friends, that means that we put him first, not second, not third, not last. We put him first in our financial reality. And then the blessing comes our way. This is so key for us. You know, one author puts it this way. In the Bible, there is about, well, over 500 verses on the subject of prayer. There's over 500 verses on the subject of faith. And there are more than 2,000 verses in the Bible on the subject of money and possessions. Did you get that? Jesus spoke a lot about the handling of material things. And uh, even in his parables, 16 of them contain uh, teaching on the handling of goods in this life. And so from a Bible standpoint, we've just got to put weight on this as God puts weight on it. And as a church, what we do is every year or so, we have a series on this. We're in one right now. It's called Overflow. Um, we, we usually give about three, maybe four messages a year. It's not a hobby horse to us. It's not something like we're always focused on, but we believe it's part of the Christian life. It's part of being a disciple that we understand what God says in his word about how to live as a steward of his resources. So we're in the Overflow series. And uh, you know, I said this was going to be one of the tangible uh, messages in the series, how to, how to really make it work in our lives. And that's because we're going to look at this whole thing today uh, called tithing. And I touched on it just briefly last week. Today we're going to kind of unpack it, look at it from different angles, and see what the Lord is asking of us. Let me begin with this. Sometimes I hear from Christians, they say, I don't need to look at tithing because tithing was part of the Old Testament law. And that's partly true. It, it was in the Old Testament law. It, it certainly was there. We've already read a verse on that from Leviticus. But tithing uh, exists in the Bible in three eras. Before the law, during the law, and after the law. In the new covenant with Jesus Christ, tithing actually appears there. So whenever you see something like that, friends, when you see something transferring from before the law, through the law, and past that to post-law, you know that God... <laughs> He is underscoring this truth for us. He's saying it doesn't matter what era you live in, this is an important part of knowing me. So we're going to look at that today. And uh, it just allows us to walk in a great degree of freedom and blessing. And I want to say this to you as, as I go into this message. I don't want you to get confused at all. Tithing will not get you saved. All right? Tithing is not like that. It doesn't earn you some, some special standing with God. Uh, you come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, through no works of your own. You're saved by grace through faith. And, uh, and then once we're in the kingdom, then we look at God's word and we say, how does he want me to live? It's in the category of discipleship. It's in the category of blessing. And there's lots in the Bible to show us that God actually wants us to do this. It's not like he's saying, well, you know, try it if you like, and, and if it doesn't work, it's okay. Uh, but it's there for us as a blessing. It's a step of faith that we take in obedience to Jesus to declare him as Lord. And Lord over our income. That's important. Because every single day, 
We are in this realm of needing to make financial decisions. I bet you today several of us will have made three financial decisions or transactions by the time we get home after church. It's just that real, friends. We're just living in a really uh, thorough monetary system. So where does tithing first show up in the Bible? You might ask that question. Well, I want to give you a hint at it. Anybody take a guess where in Genesis we we see the, the early prototype of tithing? A little bit earlier. We're going to get to Abraham. Let's go a little bit backwards, back into the beginning. Yeah, Cain and Abel. You nailed it. Cain and Abel. So what happens was in Genesis chapter 4, you've got, you've got Abel who brings the first fruits of his flock. So he had some lambs that were born. He takes them to the Lord and he sacrifices them to God. And the Bible says God was pleased with Abel's offering. Cain comes later, and he's been growing some crops. He brings an offering to the Lord, and it doesn't say that the Lord was pleased with him at all. In fact, it's really kind of the opposite. Why is that? Because Abel's was the first fruit, and that was not true of Cain's. Abel took, he took the top portion of his flock. He said, as soon as this lamb is born, I'm giving it over to the Lord. And we have the principle there of tithing at work. And then it really shows up in Abraham's life in Genesis chapter 14. So the other person who said that, you're right too. (laughs) And I want you to look at Genesis 14 with me. We're going to read it off the screen and see what it says to us. I love this passage here. Beginning at verse 17. It says, After Abram returned from defeating Kedor Alamar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheba, that is, the king's valley. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now, what does that remind you of? Communion, right? Bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham, God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then note this astonishing verse. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Abraham tithes to Melchizedek. Before there was a law, before Moses was on the scene, and we had the Ten Commandments, long before that we have Abraham tithing to a king by the name of Melchizedek. Abraham did that because he knew that God wanted him to do that. It was an instinct that he followed through on. It's something he would have known about as he thought about his forefathers all the way back to Adam. And then we have this in Hebrews chapter 7. You can kind of look at it. It's kind of a a parallel description of, of Melchizedek. It tells us that he was the king of Salem, that is the king of peace. He's the priest of the Most High God. He's the king of righteousness without beginning of days or end of life. Who's that starting to sound like? And then in chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 3, it says, Resembling the Son of God, he, Melchizedek, remains a priest forever. All right, so without being really you know, conclusive uh, about Melchizedek, uh, we would say this. Maybe he was an appearance of God on the earth, like a theophany, and that shows up in many places in the Pentateuch. God showing up as the angel of the Lord and so on. He could have been a theophany. He also could have been a special human being who was raised up to be an early example or prototype of the true Prince of Peace, who is Jesus Christ. At the very least, he is a foreshadowing, or he is a biblical type of Christ. And so Abraham tithes 
to this great king. His influence was great, and Abraham knew it, and so he acknowledges uh, his greatness by taking the spoils of battle, and he gives the tenth over to Melchizedek. Now, in Romans chapter 4, it tells us something very interesting. It says, we who walk by faith, we are children of Abraham. We're to follow in his footsteps. He was pre-Old Testament law. And by trusting in Jesus, we can call Abraham our father in the faith. The point I'm making here is this. Tithing preceded the Old Testament law. We've got to start there. It was before the law. It's not just that it was in the, the, the things that Moses wrote down. It started for sure with Abel and then others and then into Abraham. On one occasion, Jesus said to people who were boasting that they were children of Abraham, but they weren't believing him, he said, if you're the children of Abraham, do the deeds of Abraham, right? If you're going to follow after this great man of faith called Abraham, then do what he did. And one of the things he did was he was a tithing person. If we're going to live by faith, these are the kinds of things we need to think about it. So let me share with you how this worked out in our life as parents as we were raising our kids. And I want to go back in time now to when our kids were like, you know, eight, you know, six, and two, something like that, right? Somewhere in there. And uh, I remember uh, we would sit at the kitchen table on a Saturday night, but once a month, I would give our kids their allowance. Any of you guys do that? You have allowance for your kids? Maybe not. That's fine. (laughs) And uh, I would go to the bank earlier in the week, and I would get a whole bunch of coins, right? Rolls of loonies and toonies and quarters and dimes and nickels. So one of my kids, who was the oldest, he would get $15 a month. To the next kid, it would be 12. And to the other one, the youngest one, she would get 10, whatever. And I would give them their loonies and toonies, right? Put it on the table. And then I would hand out envelopes, like you see in the back of the chair right in front of you, tithing envelopes. And I, I said, here's your envelope. Now I want you to give 10% to God. And they're like, oh, well, how do you do that? I said, well, you've got to divide by 10, right? So then you have to take 10 loonies, divide by 10 is one, right? So one loony goes in an envelope for the youngest person. And then I'd have them, you know, fill it out, put their name on the envelope, designate it on a line, flip it over, write a prayer to God, put stickers on there, you know, butterflies and, and X-Men and, you know, you know, color it all up, highlight it, and then bring it to church on the next day. We'd put them by the door on the steps in the landing. Our kids would grab them, they'd come in here, and when the offering went by, we said, put it in. And they put their own offering in. We taught them that from a very, very young age. Why is that important? I think it's important because the earlier and the sooner our families understand how to get under the blessing of God, the better. And they are wet cement children, right? They are so teachable at a young age, and that's the age to really help them understand, look, this is God's portion. This is not ours, and we're just going to return it to him. Well, guess what? Our kids are basically all grown up now. They are all tithers. And for them, it's just normal. It's like, well, how, how would you not do that, Dad? And uh, that's because they at an early age began to do it. And I, I just love that. I, I think it's so important that we as people get that practical about this discipline in our lives and we respond to God in creative ways. All right, so let's look at Malachi chapter 3 here. We read just one little portion of it last week. I'm going to give you the full context reading. This is an amazing uh, part of the Bible here. Malachi 3 at verse 6. And uh, I want to say this. Malachi uh, is the last book of the Old Testament. And it kind of positions the end of the Old Covenant 
for the new covenant. It's like a pivotal book, right? It pivots from one era to the next. It has some very interesting stuff in it. It talks about Elijah coming in the end times and uh, hearts of the fathers turning uh, to the hearts of the sons and so on. So it's leaning towards a New Testament, New Covenant reality. And here's what it says of verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. That's an interesting statement in the last book of the Old Testament. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse. You're, you're a whole nation because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I so love that passage. And the reason I love it is because there's so much freedom in it. There's so much blessing in it from God. It's the only place in the scriptures where God says, you can test me. In any other area, we are not to test God. We're not to doubt him or test him. But in this area, God says, I want you to test me. I want you to test me because I'm going to show you. I will open up things in heaven over you, and I will pour out an overflow blessing into your life that will enrich you and encourage you and excite you because I'm going to take care of you. So he talks about the tithe here. What is the tithe? It's 10% of our income. Why would God use the phrase, you're robbing me? (laughs) When I was studying this, I thought, is God actually joking here? Is this one of those passages in the Bible where he's like exaggerating? Like, is God short on money? Has he got a bank account in heaven? He's like, hey, it can never go below this balance, so come on. You know, bring it all in here. Uh, I don't think that's it at all. I, I think he's saying, let's just acknowledge who it is who gives you everything. And he talks about the ancestors here. Normally, when that phrase ancestors shows up, you got to think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then think of Moses and David and everyone else, right? And and it's like the Lord is appealing to his people there in the time of Malachi saying, remember how your ancestors walked with me before the law, during the law, and now we're getting ready to go after the law with the new covenant? And he's talking to them about this thing called the tithe. So I think he used the word intentionally to say, This is my portion. And and I just remind us all here that when it comes to stewardship, God has put 100% of it into our hands, and he's saying, here's how it's going to work best for you. You live on the 90. You you do what you can with that. You grow that, expand that, use that, multiply it, invest it, and so on. Use my word uh, to guide you in that area too. Use the 90, but the 10%, the first 10%, it belongs exclusively to me. And I believe that we're not to take the tithe and do other things with it. It belongs to God, as we saw in Leviticus 27. It's holy, which means it's set apart. It's not ours to take and, and determine you know, how we're going to use it for our own purposes. 
and then we bring it into the local storehouse. What's that? Uh, well, I think it's simply this. It's a location where people would bring all of their tithes, which was grain and animals and so on. They would bring it to the temple area or the tabernacle area or in New Testament times, even the synagogue. And there was a, there was a place you could gather there and you could bring your portion of, of, of the tithe to the Lord and you could join in with others in worship. It was a central location for the people of God. It's where they gathered together to pray, to hear the words of Scripture read. It's where they worshipped. And obviously, in the New Testament, that location is the local church. It's the storehouse. We gather together here in the name of Jesus. Uh, we, we sing and worship in his presence. We read his word. We pray together. And we bring these offerings here. This is the local storehouse. Wherever the community of faith gathers, that's the place where those collections take place. And the idea is that you don't you know, bring part of your tithe to one place and then you drive over 20 miles and you, you give a portion of your tithe over here. You always brought it to one location, the whole tithe into the storehouse. I think a good analogy of that might be something like this. As someone said, you, know, you don't eat in one restaurant and pay the bill in another, Right? If you're on the east side of Airdrie and you're sitting in a restaurant there and you say thank you and you get up but you don't pay and you go over to one on the other side of Airdrie and you pay over there, it doesn't make sense, right? Where we eat is where we give. And this was just normal in the time that we're looking at here. Long after the exile was over, we have the people of God in Malachi's day building their houses, settling down, having children, raising them up, giving their sons and daughters in marriage and all those great things. And somehow during those years, they got a little disfocused on what the Lord was saying to them. And he's just reminding them here, hey, you know what? It is important that you honor me. It is important that you put first things first and bring my portion to the storehouse. And then God says, I'm going to give you a personal guarantee of protection over your assets when you do that. He says, I will open up the floodgates of heaven. He's talking about an overflow experience here. And just like we believe in an open heavens over our church and praying for that over our city, we can believe in an open heavens over our lives financially as we faithfully bring to God his portion. And when we do that, there's this abundance, there's this protection that comes into our life. He says literally, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. So we're not living in an agrarian uh, society anymore, but let's just translate it into the times that we live in. God will protect our jobs. God will protect our labor. God will protect our financial decisions if the Lord is honored in the first act of stewardship, which is bringing him his portion. The devourer will be re rebuked. And you know, in one sense, we never really get to use the tithe. And I believe this, I, I would say it's, it's my own personal conviction on it, um, that if, if I use God's tithe for other purposes, I think other things just don't go well. Cars break down, furnaces have to be repaired, roofs in your house have to be redone, and so on. But when you're under God's protection, some of those things are just covered by his blessing, and he makes things last a long time. So if you want protection over your job, if you want protection over your future, and God may lead you into even a change of job, perhaps. But I want to say this to you. You want to make sure that you are putting yourself under the protection of God. That's really important for us where we live. 
Otherwise, we're going to get very stressed on our careers. And God wants us to have peace, right? He's the prince of peace. So are we walking in freedom in our financial lives? Are we choosing to honor God first in this important area of our lives? And I I said to you that tithing was pre-law and then in the law and then the new covenant. So let me just show you that in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23. We have Jesus talking here with the Pharisees. He has an interesting conversation with them about tithing. He says this, verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What's he really saying here? Well, back then, if you were a Pharisee, you spent most of your day studying the Old Testament. That's what they did. They were, they were scholars of the Word. And so think of them as like full-time seminary students. But they had little jobs on the side. Some of them would grow spices. It's like a little grow-up for them, you know, mint and dill and so on. they got this little thing going on the side here, right? They're producing a little bit. And they would tithe on that increase. And so they should have. So Jesus says to them, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. But then he calls them on the carpet. He said, however, don't neglect the more weighty things of the law, like justice and mercy. Let me say this, friends. Tithing is not the summit of spirituality. It's the base camp. It's where we start to really declare that God is Lord over our lives, even our financial lives. We start where God wants us to start, and then we increase from there in, 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 in further degrees of stewardship and faithfulness. And uh, Jesus affirmed this whole matter of the tithe uh, in many uh, situations here. Uh, on one occasion, he had some people come up to him, and, and they were trying to trick him, and they said, hey, Jesus, we've got a question for you. Um, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And uh, they thought they had him trapped because if he said yes, they could maybe say, well, then you're colluding with Rome and you're really sort of advancing the Roman Empire. If he said no, then he would be like a rebel. So they've got him cornered, so they think. So Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus answered them and he said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. He just... Black and white clarifies it for them. There are things that belong to Caesar, pay him. There are things that belong to God, pay him. And the word render there, which is a stronger word than the NIV's uh, translation of give, uh, the original word really means to pay back accounts. It's to make payment. It's to return what you need. Remember you used to get invoices you know, maybe in the old days, some of you remember this, it says render payment is due, right? We're to pay God. What is due God? Does God really want payment? Does he need payment? Well, one author put it this way. I forget who told me this. They said, they said this, the tithe is God's rent payment for living on his planet and breathing his air. And you don't want to get evicted. God's saying, you know what, I made you in my image. I put you on the earth. You're breathing my air. You're drinking my water. So acknowledge that. Pay me my portion. And okay, so 
when we look at it that way, we understand God is a God of clarity and fairness. And when we respond, we say, I'm choosing to honor God first in our financial lives. In my own experience, uh, it took me a while, a while to start tithing. I shared that with you last week. Uh, I, I would give in fits and starts, right? You know, I, I would give as I felt led to in the moment. And I had this verse in my head. It said, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, which I falsely interpreted as I'll open my wallet, and whenever I grab that, that's what goes in. But I always made sure that what was in my wallet was small, right? I'm in my early 20s here doing this. And then my roommate Dan convicted me. He said, what are you, like, when are you going to get with the program here and realize God will bless you if you tithe? And I said, I don't know if I can do that. He said, yes, you can. The Lord will take care of you. You've got to put him first, though. And uh, so I started, you know, with 3%. I shared this with you last week. Then I went to 5%. And after, you know, seven months uh, or so, I went to 7%. And then I just jumped to the 10. And uh, God blessed me abundantly. I got two raises in a year and a half in the 80s during a downturn in the economy. God took care of every single moment of that journey. And I had to learn it. I had to, I had to step my way into it, which maybe some of us need to do. And it's okay. Right? It's okay. We need to start somewhere and we need to go to God about that with the goal that one day we're going to do the whole thing. The Lord understands that. He's not going to condemn you for that. He's going to give you grace. He's going to give you opportunities to see how he's going to bless you as you get there. And I, I think as long as you put that goal that you will by a certain day, God will work with the steps of faith that you're able to take. Remember this, friends. The gospel is free. Jesus shed his blood and died on the cross for our sins. The greatest payment of all. It tells us that when he was hanging on the cross, he said, tetelestai, which means paid in full. All debts paid. The debt of our sin gone. That's the greatest sacrifice and gift that's ever been given towards us. The gospel is free. We simply respond to Jesus by faith, and we say, Lord, come into my life. I want to receive your forgiveness. I want to receive uh, your, your grace. I want to be changed by your, your Holy Spirit, and he comes in. Once we're in the kingdom, we realize the gospel is free, but maturity is expensive, right? To get our lives into order with God, to get in alignment with kingdom values requires some deep choices sometimes. If we're going to be people who really live by this book and follow the Holy Spirit, we got to tune in to what the voice of God is saying to us. And so I encourage you to open up your heart to whatever God would say to you in this area. And you know what? Some people say, you know, do I tithe on my gross or on my net? I've always tithed on my gross pay, right? Before I give to Caesar, before taxes are taken out, because I get the benefit of some of those taxes, right? Healthcare and so on. And uh, I'm not saying that as a legalistic thing. You can be persuaded as God leads you. But how much do you want to be blessed? How much blessing do you want in your life? You cannot outgive God. He is far more generous, far more faithful than we can imagine. So here's the practical part of our, of our morning here. I'm going to share just for, uh, for a few moments with you this idea of an overflow offering. We talked about it last Sunday. That today and the next two Sundays, we're encouraging you to take a step of faith uh, if God's leading you to do that, to participate in this moment of overflow and favor and abundance with God. So here's what it's for. It's an opportunity for some of us to start to tithe. 
And maybe that's just new for us. Maybe we've never heard of it before. We can begin the journey and the process. Maybe you've been in this church for six months or a year or two years. You haven't quite gotten there yet. This is the moment to say, all right, I'm going to start to tithe to God through this local storehouse. This is my home church. Or it could be that you want to catch up on tithing. Sometimes we just get busy and we forget to get those things done. And a couple months goes by and we go, oh, I missed a couple of tithe uh, payments, uh, uh, gifts to God. You can use this as an opportunity to catch up on some of the tithing that maybe you need to do. Or you're going to continue to just faithfully tithe. For this, for many of us, it's just normal life. We come here, we give on online, we use the debit machine, we use checks or cash, uh, and we just do this. This is how we live. And that's part of this offering as well. And then one other thing is, it's an opportunity for some of us to give generously above our tithing, a special offering that can go to help bless um, our missionaries and other people. So I just want to encourage you to see uh, the value in this. And, you know, when we, when we step out like this, there's just ways to, to be involved. I want you to see this as this is a way that we're going to strengthen our growing ministries to kids and to youth and to adults. This is a way for us to take care of our ongoing stuff here with the building and staffing and all that stuff. It's an opportunity to strengthen our compassion fund. And believe me, at this time of the year, that is very important. We want to minister uh, to people practically, and we have been. Uh, And then it's an opportunity as well to bless our international workers, our missionaries. And so I'm just encouraging you um, to be involved in this if God calls you to. There's no pressure here. And uh, to help you uh, think about that, we put a little envelope in your bulletin. It says overflow offering. I want you to pull that out for a second. And you can uh, use this today, next week, or the week after. um, And just maybe pray about what are you going to be involved in if God tells you to be involved. What's the amount? What's it going to go towards? How is it going to be used for his honor and his glory? It's the same information on here as any other envelope in the back of the chairs. We just wanted to put this into your hands. And so some of you might want to take this home, this envelope, talk to your spouse about it, think about it yourself, pray about it, and come back next week because we'll be receiving the overflow offering on December 11th and the 18th as well. And uh, God's going to bless us as we do that. All right, I'm going to invite our worship team to come on up here. And i got a story i got to tell you guys here that I think will encourage you. Because I've learned the hard way, all right? I'm a little slow when it comes to this area of stewardship. It took me many years to really, really, really trust God in the area of tithing. But I want to share with you what happened to my wife, Marianne, and I. We were in Bible college back in the mid-'80s, first year. Uh, She was working part-time at a daycare, and uh, I was slammed with courses, so I wasn't working part-time in the first semester. And back then, uh, we didn't have much income. In fact, Marianne's wage was $800 a month. Our rent was just under four. So we got four weeks at $100 a week, you know, for food, gas, and everything, right? You've heard of the expression, poor as church mice? Um, We were like looking at the mice, and they looked middle class to us, okay? And here's what happened. Uh, She came home with a check once. This is probably about four months into our journey there at Bible College. And she got paid every week, so it was $200. 200 bucks. We had hardly any groceries in the house, hardly any gas in the car. We're strapped. 
and we had to make a decision. Well, of course, my wife, she was already there, but I was wrestling with this. Are we going to tithe on $200? I remember sitting at my desk on a Saturday night in Regina in a basement suite. And I said, God, do you actually care about 20 bucks? Are you really after 20 bucks? Is that what you want? Because I thought 20 bucks, that could buy us food for two days. And I thought, this is a do or die moment. I've already been tithing for three years. If I go backwards now, I'll never get back here again. I said, okay, Lord. So I wrote the check, $20, put it in the envelope. We went to church the next day, put it in the offering. And we struggled all week long. I mean, really struggled. You know, when there's no craft dinner left and you're eating the crusts of the bread in the back of the bag, and there's no gas in the car. And somehow we just scraped through the week. Around Thursday, we got a check in the mail from my wife's grandmother for about $150. That doesn't sound like a lot today, does it? It was huge for us. She wrote that check probably the same Saturday night that I wrote mine. She put it in the mail in Calgary and it took three and a half, four days to get to Regina. And God spoke to me as if to say, you never have to worry about this stuff. Trust me. And he says in his word, test me in this. This one you can test me in. I want to show you. I want to show you how I'm going to provide for you. I want to show you how I'm going to overflow your life with blessings so great your life can't even receive what, I, what I'm going to do for you. It's just going to overflow from you to others. Just test me in this. Try me out. And I said, Lord, I will never doubt this ever again. And I've been doing it ever since. It's the only way to live. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask our host to come forward. And I'm going to pray over the offering today. And we're going to sing and declare God's goodness over our lives. So I want to pray a blessing over everybody who is able to give and those that can't give. I want us all to be blessed today. Let's lean together in our hearts. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you paid it all for us. The supreme sacrifice has been made. And because of what you've done for us, our lives are forever changed. And as grateful men and women, Lord, we stand in your presence. And we say, you are Lord of all. Not just Lord of part of our lives, but Lord over this area too. So for all the gifts that are being given here, Lord, would you pour out abundant favor? Would you overflow, Lord, your people with great provision, with great strength and great favor as we celebrate your care over our lives, Jesus? For your sake and the sake of the world, we pray it. And everybody said, amen. Let's stay standing.